Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Father, we speaking on the subject of what is a living Now, this is an entirely 
uh, new concept to many of the people to whom he is writing. Because in the Old Testament, a person was saved relating to what he did. And one could be saved and lost, saved and lost throughout the Old Testament process. But Jesus came to change that. That's why there was a necessity for repeated sacrifices in the Old Testament. For the sacrifice only covered up to the point of the next sin. And then that sin would have to be covered by a sacrifice, and the next one would be, and on it went. Until God became extremely tired and overburdened with the process of forgiving over and over and over by, by the burnt offerings, the sacrifices that they made on the altar, until he finally gave the ultimate sacrifice, and of course we understand that story. But the Old Testament theology was tied well to what one did. New Testament theology is not tied to one's works. One is saved after the death of Jesus Christ, not by what a person does at all, but by what God did. This is a change in the theology of the Old and the New Testaments. All of the pagan religions of the world, as far as I know, every religion of the world except Christianity ties salvation to what one does. Christianity makes that break based upon what Christ did. Now, even Christian people today have difficulty separating salvation from the Old Testament to the New and still want to tie our salvation to what we do. I've had many people say to me, well, if I don't change my ways, I'm going to hell. You might change your ways and still go to hell. Because our salvation is not based upon our ways. Our manner of doing things, our manner of speech. Whether we do or do not attend church and read the Bible and all those things, those are important and good. But the manner of salvation is based upon that which God did. As Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says so, so very well, and you know those verses, uh, I think, very familiar. For by the grace of God are ye saved through faith, and but not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, if our salvation were based upon our works, two people could stand up and one could say, I'm better than you are, and be accurate in that, because we are all in varying degrees of goodness based upon what we do. And if we lined up all 35 of us, or how many are here tonight, in order of our works, we would have somebody at the head of the list and somebody at the foot of the list. And if we were going to stand back and judge this row of 35 people, we'd probably want to say, well, we're going to draw a line right here. All of those people below 10 are lost. 
Only those who've got above ten are saved. That would be men's way of doing it. But God receives all of us because our salvation is not based upon a ranking of our morality, our goodness, our honesty, and all those things. It is based upon grace, what God did. Now, that's the thesis of the first 11 chapters of Romans. It's what God did in you. Now, we could spend all night talking about them, if that's the case. What about all these people who, who become baptized and join the church and then just go the way of the world? We're not talking about the physical things of baptism and joining the church. There are probably a lot of people who belong to this church who will be in hell. There are a lot of people who have been baptized in this baptistry who will be in hell. Because their salvation is not based upon the water in that baptistry, nor the name on the church roll. Their salvation is based on something entirely different. Okay. Now, he's saying, since this is true, that it is the mercy of God that brings us salvation, then what ought we to do in response? That's the thing that he's talking about. Since God has done this, I beseech you, I implore you, I urge you, therefore, brethren, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God. This is the response. If I have been saved by the mercy of God, then I am in a position to make a response. I surely am going to respond to this mercy in some way. It is this response that gives evidence of our salvation and gives some indication to people who view us that we are in fact saved. And he says that you are to present your bodies, yourself, your physical life. And I think we can, can realize that the word bodies in, encompasses more than, than the flesh and bones, but the physical life that we live. Present ourselves to God as a sacrifice. Now I want you to picture yourself being presented by you to God as a sacrifice. Think of it in terms of uh, Abraham's offering of Isaac as a sacrifice. You remember in the Old Testament that God told Abraham to take his son Isaac out to a mountaintop and there offering him as a sacrifice. And here on the altar lies a young man the name of Isaac bound and ready for sacrifice and Abraham has the knife to plunge in his heart to kill him. Imagine that you are putting your life on the altar voluntarily. And that's what uh, Paul is talking about. But he doesn't want you dead. He wants you alive. He wants you alive. Now, sacrificing is generally thought of as painful, oftentimes bloody. It's difficult. It's very unpleasant. And it's not something that anybody wants to do is to make a sacrifice. I have never made a sacrifice. 
willing to make. Any sacrifice I've made, and I suspect you're in the same boat, you made it because you had to. Or you made it because there was something that you wanted worse than what you gave up. It is something that must be done. You feel compelled to do it. One of our missionaries was in one, I think it was Africa, but I've forgotten now. Early in his ministry, there as a missionary, and he saw a lady from the tribe with whom he was working come out to the uh, cliff along a wild river and pick up her son, who was in perfect health, with a, a weakling, a crippled son at her side, pick up her son, hold him out over the river, and throw him in. And the missionary went to the lady and criticized her for doing such a thing. He said to her that you should not have sacrificed your son. And then he went on to say, in error, if you were going to throw one of your children into the river, why didn't you throw the weakling into the river? Sacrifice him, not your best. And the lady responded to him this way. He said, she said to him, I don't know what your God requires, but I, my God requires the best. Now we recognize that she was an obvious error in making this kind of sacrifice to a pagan god. But I think we must respect her for feeling that she was compelled to give the best that she had to her god. And if we have this same kind of compelling in, your, in our lives, that we just could not help it, we have to do it. Then we would be the kind of people that Paul is beseeching to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. We're compelled to do it. We must do it. We don't feel like that we have a choice. We might desire to go another way, but we're compelled. I suspect some of you really would rather be somewhere else right now than here. But you came because you felt compelled to come. Not by me, or by the church, but by God. You're here because you felt you could not do otherwise and be honest to God. You sacrificed an evening of pleasure, at least sitting under a cool air conditioner, watching television, sipping iced tea, and enjoying life with your shorts on and your, your collar unbuttoned, and everything was nice and fine, but you sacrificed that because you felt compelled to do it and sit in a hot church and wave your fans and listen to somebody preach. Why? Because there is an obligation deep down in you that says that I must give of myself to God. Sometimes these compellings are a little short-lived when we give up on them after a while. Well, not. A sacrifice, then, as we're talking, is an offering to God. Anything that's consecrated to God, given to Him, becomes a sacrifice. 
There's another way we can look at sacrifice that we sometimes voluntarily do, and that is we will sacrifice something because there is something higher or more important that we want. We'll have to give up something in order to have something else. For example, the choice is go to the ball game or stay home and study for a test. Now let me tell you, when I was in the school, that was a sacrifice to stay home and study for a test instead of going to the ball game. I really, but I felt that it was absolutely necessary for me to do so. Because out of giving up the ball game and forcing myself to study, the ultimate goal that I had in mind, I would achieve. I gave up something good for something better. See the point? We give up something now because there's something in the future that's going to be more important to us. We may have to give up some things now that we really would like to participate in. It would be fun, enjoyable. It would seem to delight us. It would penalize us. It would make us happy, we think. It would be joyful. We're going to give that up, and we may feel like it's suffering, but we know that down the road, one of these days, we're going to say, hey, it was worth it. I'm glad I did it. Any athlete that trains goes through the same thing. He punishes himself. He sacrifices the good foods that he would like to eat. He doesn't eat the cakes and the ice creams and the sweet stuff. He goes out there and punishes his body day after day, making himself train because he knows that giving up the good life now, the nightlife, and all the things that go with it will mean that he probably will achieve the goal that he set in the future. Next week, next year, whenever that time comes, that he will have an opportunity to obtain thing that he was after. So, a sacrifice sometimes means giving up what would appear to be good now in order to have something that is better later. And that's what Paul is talking about. Present your bodies a sacrifice. Don't indulge your bodies now with the pleasures of life. Give them up. Present your bodies to God. Serve Him. And in the end, you will say, boy, am I glad I did that. Let me illustrate. Even further. Suppose that you went to the cellar and discovered that there were six potatoes left, and that's all there was for the year. And the choice is, do I serve my family potatoes tonight, or do I keep those potatoes for seed so that I can plant them next year to have more potatoes? It is a sacrifice to leave the potatoes alone and not eat them in order to have them more of them later. Or, going to the old pump, and there hanging on the pump is a bucket of water and you're thirsty and the pump is not primed. And the decision
ancient ears, do I drink the water to satisfy my present thirst, or do I pour the water in the pump so that I can have all the water I want? Do you know that many people would drink the bucket dry and never think about the pump? When the real answer is, if you sacrifice the immediate desire for the water and pour it in the pump shortly, you're going to have plenty. But people don't think that far. There's another way to look at sacrifice. That is, that we lose something by being forced to do it. By undesirable circumstances, maybe. I can remember many things that I gave up because my dad made me give it up. He made it so tough that I wouldn't dare have done it. It wasn't my desire. I had to do it. He was solved with that. I'm telling you, he made me sacrifice. When I said, Dad, can I go thus and so? And he said, no, son, you better save your money because next week you want to do this and this. He made me give up my present pleasures in order to have something more important later. It wasn't my desire, but he did it. We are in a position of having to give up now in order to have later. God is saying to Paul, the pleasures of this world are nothing to what God has provided for you in the future. So Paul makes an appeal. He says, dedicate yourselves without reserve to God. Release all claim to yourself and submit to God and be at his disposal at his will. Now he says, offer yourselves your bodies a living sacrifice. I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. One of these verses I read this morning. But I want to elaborate upon them a little further. When Paul says to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of God, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Now listen to verse 20. For we are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Notice what he said. Both body and spirit belong to God. And he says for us in our physical as well as in our spiritual to glorify God. Both belong to God. Some people are asked to die for their faith. And over the centuries, many thousands of people have gone to their death in order to proclaim their faith. We probably never will be asked to do that. But instead, we are asked to live for our faith. Live 
the world in such a manner that God will be glorified. Now, we are to be a living sacrifice. And then I want you to notice another word or two, and I'll quit. The word holy. Holy, acceptable unto God. We're almost afraid of the word holy. I was pastor of church one time in which one of the deacons refused to take communion. Never would. When communion day came, he was always absent from church. I finally pinned him down to find out why, and he said, because I don't feel like I'm good enough. Well, listen, there's not one of us that's good enough. We're all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none good, no, not one. That's why there was the cross. That's why Jesus died for us. But he tells us to present ourselves holy, without blemish. Now there's two ways we can look at this. One is the negative way, and that is we can present ourselves as separating ourselves from anything that is ungodly. That does not mean that we have to try to kick ourselves out of the world or away from ungodliness. But it does mean that we are to try to keep ourselves unspotted from the influence of the world. That we must be in that society where we find ourselves, in that position holy, untainted by the pressures of the world. The scripture says, come ye out from among them and be ye separate. There ought to be an identity of the Christian even in the midst of non-Christian people. So there is a separation to keep ourselves holy. That's we separate this sanctuary and, and call it a holy place because it is dedicated to God. But it's more important that we dedicate our lives to God than we dedicate a building to God. If we have dedicated bodies and souls, we will be fulfilling the will of God more that way than by dedicating a building and making it a place that is considered holy. So we are in the world, but we are not of the world, and we must be careful that we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. All right, the other side of the coin is a positive side in which we actually dedicate ourselves to, or give ourselves to, that which God has called us to be. You know, in the Old Testament, the firstborn son was always dedicated to God. You didn't own the first boy. It was God's. Anna prayed for a child. She didn't have any. And she promised God that if, she, that if he would give her a son, she would give that child to God, and that child was Samson. To be completely available for God's use is the idea. Without reservation, this is sacrifice to God. We will give up all claims of anything in order that God can have all claims upon us. And then he concludes by saying, which is holy and acceptable to God. God wants total commitment, total devotion, complete commitment. There's a joke of 
God, the chicken, and the pig, who were discussing the pending breakfast for the preacher, that they were to provide the eggs and the ham. The chicken was very much elated that she was going to be able to provide something for the breakfast meal. She was going to provide the eggs. The pig was very distraught in that he was going to provide the ham. And the pig said to the chicken, for you, this is just a contribution. For me, it's total commitment. That's what God is asking for. Not a contribution. Not a little bit in the offering plate or a little time on Sunday night or Wednesdays. He is asking that our lives be totally committed to him. 24 hours a day. To achieve that is humanly impossible, but it ought to be our goal for which we uh, strive. And he says then in conclusion, which is your reasonable service. He doesn't say this is unreasonable. He says it's reasonable. If God expects it, it is a reasonable expectation that God requires of us that we sacrifice anything for ourselves in order that he get the glory. That's reasonable. The Living Bible quotes that last phrase this way. Is that too much to ask? And the answer is no. It is not too much to, for God to ask that we present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. When we do, it'll be acceptable. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.